0: God, we thank you so much for this day that you gave us. We thank you for this time we have together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have this church to come and be a part of. I pray, God, that today you'd help us as we learn from your word. I pray that we'd be attentive and that, Lord, uh, you would teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, the Bible says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. I'm in the wrong passage here which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, And in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. On Paul's second missionary journey, he stops in the city of Thessalonica. We see this in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, your handout says 1 through 41. Don't worry, we're not going to read 41 verses. There aren't even 41 verses in Acts chapter 17. But we will read the first four verses. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia... I should have probably practiced those. They came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. This church that Paul plants in Thessalonica, would, many would, would look at it and probably call it a model church. Well, the city of Thessalonica itself had some unique and had some desirable features. It was located in northern Greece. For any of you geography buffs, anybody know where Thessalonica is? Well, now you do. It's in, located in northern Greece. It's a free city with its own government. It was also the capital city of the region of Macedonia, but it's also an important metropolis in the Roman Empire. It was a trade hub for the Roman Empire. It stood on the famous Ignatian Way, Rome's greatest highway, and the most traveled route between Rome and Constantinople. But it's not the location that makes it a perfect church, a great model church. Obviously, it's not a perfect church, but it's not the location that makes it a model church. I'm glad that location doesn't determine the health of a church because um, we're in North Adams and our location is kind of off the beaten path, not on the main hub. You know, the church in Thessalonica, they're like in the center of the city, right on this major trade route. There are definitely bigger and better cities in the country than North Adams. Now, I love North Adams. I've lived in this area my entire life. But I'm just thankful that location doesn't determine the health of a church. It's not the location. It's not the political freedom of the city that makes it a successful church. But it's the authenticity of the Christians that were part of the church. This is a real church with sincere Christians who are following Christ in truth. The outcome of their authenticity was that their witness spread throughout not only their own region, but it spread abroad. And that's what we're going to talk about today, being a real witness, being a real witness. What is a witness? If you had to to describe to somebody who, who didn't speak English what a witness was, how would you describe it? This is where you get to participate. How would you? Someone who gives a testimony. Someone who gives a testimony. That's a great definition. But they're not speaking English. I don't know what testimony means. That's a great definition. Someone who gives a testimony, but think, let's think of like um, Eli. You know my son Eli? Kid's wild. He comes up with some crazy things. If I had to explain to him, what is a witness? I I, I have to go testify in court because I'm a witness. I don't, I'm just saying. Because I'm a witness. What what am I telling him that I'm doing? Yes, I'm giving a testimony, but but what does that mean? Mrs. Thompson. I saw something. Yeah. I saw something, and I'm telling you what I saw. I experienced something, and I'm telling you what I experienced. The church in Thessalonica, they were a real witness, they were witnessed to by Paul. If you remember back, I think it was the Acts 17 passage, Paul says that we went to Thessalonica and we told them of the things that we saw. We told them of the things that God had done. And then this church goes and tells not just about the things that they saw, but the things that they personally experienced. And that's what each and every one of us is called to do and called to be as well. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses of me. It's not like you're, you could be witnesses of me. He, it's a command. He says, you shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. But then they spread not just in Thessalonica. In verse number eight of 1 Thessalonians chapter one, Paul says this, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, so not only in the region where you lived, in Achaia, the surrounding area, but also in every place Your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Their testimony, their witness was such that Paul didn't even have to tell people about the church in Thessalonica. People knew about it because their witness had spread. Their witness had spread. So what makes the witness of this church so successful? We talk, in churches today we have we go to conferences. Pastors go to conferences. They go to meetings, and we talk about marketing strategies. Whether you think that's right or wrong, I mean, everything is marketing. Really, we we every the way that we live our life is marketing. The fact that we have social media pages or internet, uh, you know, like we have a Google page, a, a, a website. I can't think of what I'm trying to say, and Patrick is just sitting there like shuddering at what I'm saying. We have a website. That's what I'm trying to get at. We have a website. We have social media. In all of this, it's marketing, right? Like, the way that we live our lives is marketing. And I'm not here to say that that's the most important part of a church. We talk at conferences now about, like, how do we get our name out there? How do we, how do, what tools can we utilize to spread the gospel? Because ultimately, that's our goal. Our goal isn't to see this, the pews filled to see the pews filled. Our goal is to see the pews filled because that means people are coming to know Jesus Christ. But this church didn't, we don't read about their marketing strategies. We don't read about, you know, how many likes they had on on their Instagram reels and how many subscribers they had on YouTube. Those things obviously didn't exist. So what is it that made their faith appealing in a pagan society? Did they have a strong presence in the political arena? Did they change society from the government down? Did they have a state-of-the-arts facilities and, and a, a great worship program? All of those things are good. I'm not saying any of those things are, are wrong. But what I am saying is that's not what, how, they, how their witness spread. What they had was authenticity. The reality of their faith transformed their lives and empowered their witness. So let's break this down. First, this morning, we'll look at the remembrance of the apostle. Throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul addresses questions and concerns that the church has concerning the end times and, 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 and what's going to take place. But before he even touches on these issues, he reminisces on his stay in Thessalonica. And he can't help but give thanks to this church. Give thanks for this church as well. I, we have missionaries that come through, and a lot of times—and this is to your credit—a lot of times they'll they'll write us back after they come through, and we we typically post their thank you notes in the on the bulletin board, um, or where the um, yeah the bulletin board in the in the lobby out there. But a lot of times they thank us for the hospitality that we showed, and a lot of times we give over, uh, and and above for that missionary, and they're able to leave with a generous love offering. And they're thankful for that. Paul remembers back, he says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 to 3, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. He remembers that from the, the very beginning, that this church has a real love a real faith and a real hope in the Lord. So let's talk about their work of faith. Their work of faith. We, we see in the book of James, James chapter 2. James tells the church, he says, a man can say, I." so we'll get to that verse in a second, but he says, a man can say, I have faith and I don't have works. And James says, no, you have to show me your faith by your works. He goes on to say in verse 17, actually before, even so faith... If it hath not works as dead, being alone, yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. We show our faith by our works. And this church in Thessalon- Thessalonica had a real work of faith. We understand that it's works, works for the Lord can never save us. We're saved only by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 reminds us of that. But genuine faith produces genuine service. Someone once pointed out, our beliefs determine our behavior. When we trust Christ for salvation and believe that he has given us a work to do for him, then we're motivated to serve him. We should be motivated to serve him. From the start to the finish, the Christian life is a life of faith. 2 Corinthians 5-7 reminds us, we walk by faith and not by sight. They had a work of faith. They also had a labor of love. A labor of love. We often today use that phrase, labor of love, and and kind of like in a negative connotation. We'll start a project and... um, if you're like me at my house, you've started several projects and haven't finished all of them. In fact, I was noticing just the other day at my house, I, uh, so seven years ago, I think it was seven years ago, I painted my house. I think it was seven, it was seven years ago. I painted my house. My house desperately needed painting when I bought it. Um, all the paint was peeling and It desperately needed paint. And so I hate painting. Oh, I hate, I, does anybody enjoy painting? Everyone thinks my, okay, Travis, next time, calling you. Everyone thinks my dad enjoys painting because he paints a lot. He does not enjoy painting. He he says that all the time. He's like, I don't really enjoy this. I just, it has to be done, so I do it. I remember as a kid, he would paint our bedrooms every single year. Like, I'm pretty sure it was every year. I might be exaggerating, but he would paint all the time. So I painted my house the first year we owned it. And um, it's a big house. It needed a lot of paint. And there's a section of my house that I apparently didn't finish. I, I, noticed, it. I noticed it every now and then when I'm mowing my lawn, and then I just don't think about it because I don't, I don't want to do it. There's, there's a section on the back of my house. Many of you know I have a duplex. And so on the, on the side where the tenants are, there's like this... So the roofs meet, my roof goes up and f- like kind of like at a, a, a slight angle. And then the the apartment goes down like down like that. And right in here, there's like, I don't know, 20 clapboards. And I prime them. I prime them. But I never actually got up there to finish painting them. And at this point, I'm like, it's time to paint the whole house again. So I'm just gonna, I'll get it when I get it. And then I noticed there's this, and the reason I didn't finish that spot is I didn't have a ladder. Uh, I had a ladder when I primed it that got there, and then I didn't have a ladder when I was painting that would get there, and now I do have a ladder that I own to do it, and I just forget about it all the time and don't really want to do it. (laughs) But then I noticed there's another spot that I missed, and this one is obvious. It is right at the the back entrance to our house where I park my car every day, where I walk into my house. There's the the peak of my house and there's a little section, like maybe a three foot section that I primed and didn't put paint and it's just trim. All I have to do is get up there and put trim paint on it. And I have my excuses and reasons for why I didn't do it and excuses and reasons for why I still don't do it. I'll have to do it though. It's a labor of love. Those are the phrases we use. Yep, it's a labor of love. I'm just out here just doing this. And we use it, that phrase kind of in a negative context because it's something that we have to, like painting for me, is just tedious. And it's that, that labor of love. Yet other times we use that phrase labor of love in a positive way. Right? We use that phrase labor of love in a positive way. Um, for those that do like to craft things with their hands, like build things out of wood, and we start projects that we that we end up finishing because we enjoy doing those projects, and those are legitimate labors of love. One project I enjoyed doing was was our mudroom. We had we had we put a, a little addition on the house. Ross and Dennis did it for me six, five, six years ago, and. Uh, I wanted to, to build some, some, like a bench and then like a custom cabinet in the mudroom. And so I did it and I enjoyed it and I finished it. It took me a little bit of time, but I finished it because it really was a labor of love for me. And that's the kind of labor of love that we're talking about. This word of labor, that, that the, the word for labor that we see is, is the Greek word kapos, which means intense labor united with trouble and toil. ministering, laboring for the Lord is intense. Can be intense. It can be united with trouble and toil. But these Christians were focused and wholehearted in their labor for the Lord. And Paul commends them not just for their labor, but he says your work of faith and your labor of love. 2 Corinthians 5:14 through 15. The love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. It is Christ's love that constrains us, and it should be Christ's love that motivates us to the work that he's called us to. It's a labor of love. And then he says "Their patience of hope. He remembered their patience of hope. I am not the most patient person in the world. It may come as a shock to some of you. I'm not the most patient person in the world. So I know many people struggle with patience. And it's something that we, like, we can't just say I'm not the most patient person in the world. We have to actually work on it and, and, and work on the fact that, that we're not patient. Because not being patient is a sin. But when we work for the Lord, when we minister for the Lord, when we serve, it requires patience. It requires patience. Some missionaries will go... uh, The the famous story is of Adoniram Judson, who I believe it was like 12 years before he saw his first convert. 12 years. He worked in Burma and ministered and witnessed and shared the gospel in 12 years. Is how long it took to see his first convert. For those of you who have been saved for any length of time, you you understand that the work working for Christ takes patience. A Sunday school teacher once asked one of her young students what the meaning of patience was. And so the little girl raised her hand and answered: Patience is when you're sitting in church and the preacher is preaching. You keep sitting and he keeps preaching. You keep sitting and he keeps preaching. preaching. And you keep sitting, and he keeps preaching, and you just keep sitting there. That is patience. Obviously, we don't feel that way in our church. But that is (laughs) patience. I don't know if that laugh was a good one. But that is patience. that's, That's not them. That's not patience. Obviously, that's just a funny illustration. But we understand. We all understand what patience is. If you are a parent of a small child, you understand what patience is, and you understand when you don't have patience. This morning on the way to church, I was actually struggling with patience in the car, and I was keeping it inside me. I didn't want to, but my kids are just so loud. And like, all of them, every single one of them. And Alina is just sitting there screeching, like, in joy and happiness. And I'm like, what? And they're just so loud. I'm like, guys, I'm trying to get ready for church here. And they're just screaming. I struggled with my patience this morning. But Paul remembers their patience of hope. What was the hope that they were patient for? Well, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. They were waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And here we are, almost 2,000 years later, still waiting for Jesus. Obviously, we look back and we see that Jesus came and was the Messiah. And we're told that his return is imminent. And I believe the Bible teaches us that his return could happen at any moment. And we're still serving with patience. And the word hope doesn't mean, oh, well, we hope it's going to happen. It's something that we look forward to with anticipation that it's going to happen. We see the remembrance of the apostles. Secondly, we see the relationships of the people. The relationships... Of the people. When you look at a church with a real witness that's producing fruit, you'll find a church whose members live in community with another and have real relationships. They have freedom to focus outwardly on those who need the gospel. But when a church family has division and discontent, and disunity. They're so focused inwardly that they don't even notice the needs of those around them. Much less do they notice the Holy Spirit's power as they attempt to share Christ. Paul commended the church of Thessalonica for their witness. He pointed to their healthy relationships. Verse number six of 1 Thessalonians 1, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost we catch a glimpse of their healthy relationships they followed human examples they followed human examples verse number 6 says you became followers ye became followers of us it's not wrong to follow human examples as long as those human examples are following christ that's in the entire reason why god has set up leadership in life in our life to follow people's examples. But on the other end, what a great responsibility that means that we have to be godly examples. Everybody in this room is to be a godly example for anybody that's downstairs. All of the children, all of the teenagers. We're called to be an example to every single one of them. Charles Spurgeon Said this: A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars, but his words as pennies. The way that you live your life says way more than the words that you say. And there are constantly people looking at us, constantly people following us. So we can follow human examples, but it's more important for us to be a godly. Example, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12, Paul talks about the kind of example that they were. He says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we could, we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily, that's a hard one to say, holily, and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that ye should walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom in glory. Some Christians take the attitude of, I don't follow anyone but the Lord. But following spiritual leaders is not just helpful, it's biblical. It's biblical, but we have to have discretion of those who we follow. Paul commends the church at Thessalonica for following him. He also instructed the church at Corinth to follow him. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. When God gives the church a spiritual leader with a godly testimony, God expects the church to follow that godly leader. Now, it doesn't mean that we follow unquestioning; that we can never, you know, raise up concerns. Obviously, it's our job as the congregation to hold our leaders accountable, right? And our spiritual leaders don't have this supreme authority. Only God has that. There's a balance that has to happen. They followed human examples, and they followed the Lord. True spiritual leadership always directs attention to God. Paul's goal wasn't for people to follow him. As Paul says in in, in Colossians, follow me as I follow Christ. He expects people to follow him in the way that he's following Christ, as he follows Christ. But if he stops following Christ, then these people need to stop following him. A true spiritual leader doesn't draw attention to themselves, doesn't care about you know, their own glory or their own accolades, but they're constantly pointing attention to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In the first century, following Christ isn't as easy as it is today, and we don't look at it like it's easy today either. Following Jesus in the first century often meant you'd lose your job, you'd lose your family. In some instances, and then as as time progressed, you would possibly lose your life. And many did lose their lives for following Christ. We don't face that kind of persecution in America. Yeah, people may tell us that we need to be quiet. The culture's constantly shifting away from Christianity. But we don't face that kind of persecution yet. And these people, whole, this church in Thessalonica, wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And then, thirdly, today, we see the reputation of the church. The reputation of the church. Every church has a reputation. Every, and I don't just mean every denomination. I mean, every church has a reputation. We could, we're not going to do it, but we could go through a list of churches. I could name a list of, I could name a church after another church after another church, and there'd be a reputation that would come up in your mind. uh, And I'm thinking of famous churches. I'm not thinking of churches locally. I'm thinking of like churches, um, and those who profess Christ, right? I'm not talking about different, like, different, uh, those who aren't even, who aren't believers. I'm talking about churches that preach the gospel. I could list different names of churches, and there would be a reputation that comes up in your mind. Every church has a reputation. Paul talks about their reputation. He says that one part of their reputation was that they had a powerful reception. This church had a reputation of receiving the gospel and allowing God to work among them in a powerful way. Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 5. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. They had a reputation of receiving the gospel and allowing God to work among them. In the morning service, we're going to talk about um, our relationship to God's word for a little bit. It comes up in the Colossians passage that we're talking about. But God's word holds a power that's beyond any human's ability to manufacture if someone stands up to preach and they're not using God's word, then they're not preaching. They're giving a motivational speech. God's word has the power to change people's lives. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is quick. doesn't mean it's fast. It means it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word has the ability to cut into our lives, to convict us of sin, and to totally transform us. When it reaches the ground of the unsaved, it has the power to turn their lives around and to bring new birth. First Peter 1 Peter 1:23 through 23-25 being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This church wasn't built because of Paul's abilities as a speaker or his, his dynamics as a man. It was built on the preaching of God's word. It was built on God's word. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says that it, the word, God's word is developed in the life of this church in power and in the Holy Ghost. Acts 1 verse 8 You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When we share the word of God, the Holy Spirit works to convict people's lives. Whether that's as a Christian in a church service, God convicts you through his word, through the message that's been given. Or whether that's an unbeliever who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, the Holy Spirit convicts. Because the Holy Spirit moves with power, but they also had an influential propagation. Verses seven through eight, Paul says, "Ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place." Your faith to God where it is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. He he mentioned that these Christians have this faithful testimony. They have a faithful testimony. In Macedonia, that includes Philippi and Berea, which we know there's going to be a church in Philippi. And then there's believers in Berea, who Paul talks about later on. And then in Achaia, which also includes Corinth and Athens, which also have churches. That Paul talks about. Additionally, members of this church sounded out the word of the Lord in the regions that were even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. Th- this phrase sounded out, it means that they, they, they went out and they proclaimed it like someone would play a trumpet. They went out and they let people know. They proclaimed God's word. They proclaimed their witness. They proclaimed the, life tram- uh, the life-transforming power of the gospel. They didn't keep their faith secret. They were bold witnesses for Christ, even in the midst of persecution. Romans ten fourteen through 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? How shall they believe on him? I'm sorry. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The church in Thessalonica was adamant and earnest about sharing the gospel. They were purposeful about it. It didn't happen accidentally. They went out and they told their friends, they told their neighbors, and then they went out to those outside of their area. They became missionaries. Many of you know the story of Jim Elliott. In 1956, he was one of five missionaries who were killed along the beach by the, uh, of the Kure, um, uh, I think it's Kure River, by the Aka Indians. They had gone there to bring the gospel. Jim Elliott's journals became well known, and prior to his death, Jim had recorded in his journal his great desire that his life would have a real impact as a witness for Christ. He said, "Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me." His desire meant that he needed to confront people with Christ. And because of his witness, because he contacted this this aka indian tribe and he was killed but his prayers were answered his wife went back and was able to lead i believe the story goes the entire village to the lord his prayers were answered he had prayed that god would allow him to make an impact are we praying for that are we praying that god would allow us to make an impact to these Christians, salvation was real. They turned from their pagan gods and practices to following Jesus Christ. They gave up their lifestyles. They gave up their families. They gave up their jobs in most cases to follow Jesus Christ. And then in many cases, they were thrown in jail and some were killed. We are called to go proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth. And the life and no man comes to the Father but by him. Acts 20:21: 20, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. These faithful Christians in Thessalonica had a real shining witness. Their testimony was genuine, and their service to the Lord was from the heart. Their proclamation of the gospel was consistent. They were known about everywhere. They had a reputation. The Christians who had once been held in bondage to pagan idolatry lived out the words that Paul wrote in Romans 6, 17 through 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of of righteousness. If we desire to have a real witness for Christ today, we have to yield ourselves to be his servants. We must ask the Holy Spirit for his power, and we must be obedient to share his word with those we come in contact with, but not just those we come in contact with. We need to go out proactively sharing his word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, this time that you've given us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the godly example of the church in Thessalonica. God, I pray that we would be challenged to be real witnesses, Lord, to spread your gospel. That, Lord, we could see souls saved and lives changed. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at MountGraylockBaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.